Chad here. Quick disclaimer before this episode, we had a little bit of an audio snag, so we'll be better next episode, but I apologize. There's going to be some hiccups. still a great episode. Definitely recommend you check it out, and we'll do better next time. In a world where most people watch movies and then forget about them, these brave heroes join forces to watch them again and then talk about them. Join them in their epic journey as they go back in time, a decade and beyond, to revisit and break down films from a vast array of genres. Do these movies hold up over time? Are they classics? Find out on Retro Movie Roundtable. Starring your hosts, Brian Fry, Chad Robinson, Dustin Melbarnes, Lizzie Haynes, and Russell Guest. Coming now to Headphones in Your Ears. Welcome all you lords, ladies, and knights of the Retro Movie Roundtable to the podcast where we watch movies and then talk about them. I'm your host, Chad Robinson, and joining me today, he's got his pumpkin spice latte, it's fall, y'all, Brian Fry out in Spokane, Washington. Hey, to be fair, it's a Washington Fata fit beer. Very nice. October 1st. <laughs> <laughs> I dig it. And our new intro did not lie. We're very excited. This is the first episode that we get to introduce you as co-host. She's been on a couple episodes already. Lizzie Haynes, welcome officially as a co-host of this show. Woohoo! Thank you, guys. Yeah. I'm excited. Thank you guys so much. I mean, she's already smashed her record of, like, largest downloads. So you guys love Lizzie. So we we kept her on. She's been a great contribution. So... This, this is, uh, this is my time. This is my dealer's choice, guys. There is no real upfront choice. I have forced a movie on you for our horror season, but we are going to talk about that in just a minute. Russell's prepared some questions for us. We're going to start with Lizzie. Is there a scary movie that scares or bother you so much that you don't want to rewatch it? Yes. I mean, well, there's a couple of those, but the first one that really pops into my mind is Session 9. Have you ever heard of that? Oh, yes. Love it. Yeah. It is a really, really scary movie. One of those really scary movies that, to me, reveals that, like, everybody is capable of snapping. And it just, it shakes me up. It's just, it's too scary for me. Okay. That's an excellent pick. Love it. Brian, what about you? Anything that scares or bothers you and you're just like, nope, not rewatching this? I actually have a harder time watching like hyper realism movies that are just like, like too, so serious. I know I brought it up a couple times and how I've never forgiven John for making me watch <laughs> it, but Requiem for a Dream, man, like you, you couldn't nail me to a chair and force my eyes. Like, I'd figure out a way to, like, swallow my tongue or something before I watch that movie again. Oh. And it's first Jared Leto, so we know you wouldn't watch it. <laughs> and, 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 <laughs> well, at least, he, all right, sorry, spoilers real quick. If you've never seen Requiem and you're planning on it, mute right now, fast forward, pause, or whatever. At least he gets his arm chopped off. There you I go. mean, like, that's like, you know, you get a little something. In it, but... That's very true. All right. God. That movie, like, I, I've i never seen a movie I wish I could unwatch until I saw that movie. Oh. I tr- wish I could unwatch that movie. It's a, it's a hard 90 minutes. 
Well, see, before Lizzie joined the show, I had a movie lined up, Brian, just for you that was that type of movie of, hey, I wish I could unwatch this movie, and that is the movie Martyrs. But Lizzie's like, I don't do gore, and <laughs> Martyrs, uh, yeah, it, it's got some extreme. That is that is one that is just so awful that I would... I don't want to see it again, but I would totally force it on you guys. Eden Lake is another one of, dear God, I felt so miserable at the end of that movie. Close, close second for me was House of a Thousand Corpses. Yes. Ooh, gosh, that's a great pick. That movie's hard to watch. It's, those movies, anything with Rob Zombie, honestly, I have a really hard time with. He's so gratuitous, and it's like borderlines on just like disgusting. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Although the monsters, I didn't really care for it, but it's not—it's kept PG, so still has Sherry Moon Zombie doing a really weird <laughs> accent. If you're familiar with the original monsters, that's not there, but it was an interesting movie. Uh, Lizzie, what is the last movie you saw? Last movie I saw was in theaters. I've been on a big theater kick lately. I saw The Invitation. Oh yes, that was fun. Yes. Did that go down well for you? Uh, I have to be honest, no, it didn't. I no. didn't like it. I I loved the trailer. I loved the the aspect of the movie, but to me, they, it did what a lot of movies do, which is you have a great plot, you have a great cast, totally great setup, and the getting there, if you will, to the ultimate plot and the ultimate part of the movie is great, like the first half. And then when it comes to like, okay, we've arrived, we're here, and it's time for the plot to actually unravel, they just, I don't think they knew what to do with themselves, and so they kind of just dropped the ball. It was, the second half was disappointing. Because the invitation reminds me of it so much, I feel the exact same way about Eyes Wide Shut. That's fair. I I, I felt like there was so much promise in that movie. And although I do feel like they kept up a fairly good psychological piece to it the whole time, like that, that, that wheel never quit, quit turning. I feel like it, it could have been elevated by changing a few pieces of it. And I feel like it's going to be like one of Kubrick's greatest letdowns for me because I think the bones were good, but they just didn't quite execute. I would agree with that. I feel like there are now six or so horror movies called The Invitation, so it's getting very, very convoluted. Like, we need to find a new title, people. Brian, what's the last movie that you saw? I watched The Crow last night. Okay. Brendan Lee. Yep. I I wanted to kind of keep the dark creepiness going. Um, The eye makeup. Yeah. Yeah, eye makeup. Yeah. So, Crow. I was going to talk about the movie Pearl, but we had movie night with my daughter, so now I have to talk about Pokemon, the first movie. <laughs> I, I had never seen it. I, it made my daughter cry, but she also enjoyed it. So I, I guess thumbs up review from my six-year-old, the Pokemon movie. <laughs> so shifting gears wildly, Brian, what movie or did I force on you guys today? All right, so this was a new one to me. Um, I was vaguely aware of it, so I'm not going to like do f- full ignorance, but I had never seen it before. We did Behind the Mask, The Rise of Leslie Vernon. Yep, 
from 2006. This was a box office hit. It grossed $69,000. Shout out Rob Gronkowski. Uh, Its place in the box office for that year was not available. It's lower than the top 200. Movies are placed ahead and behind it. We don't have that data. Russell just loves when I do this to him. The number one movie of the year was Pirates of the Caribbean, Dead Man's Chest. IMDb gives this 6.7. That's pretty good. Rotten Tomatoes. The critics and the audience are super close. Critics are 76% audience is 75 percent awards we we kind of have to dig deep here so it wins the toronto after dark film festival for audience choice choice best feature film and it wins a gen art film festival audience award as well and i think this was just sheer contempt on russell's part he says also some international film festival wins he's he's just he's done with my movie already so, uh, Lizzie, we'll, we'll start with you. Had you seen of, had you seen this movie? Had you heard of Behind the Mask: The Rise of Leslie Vernon? If so, did you like it? Uh, if you hadn't, what were your expectations going in? I had never heard of this movie ever. Nice. You sent this to me. I had no expectations whatsoever in terms of. I got the outline. I was like, okay, this is something I've never heard of before. And I watched the trailer and I have to be totally honest. My first response was that this was a student film. (laughs) 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 I don't exactly know what to expect coming into this. And my husband had almost the exact same response. Nice. So I have very low expectations going into this, but I chose... Uh, a night where I knew it was nice and calm and I could really turn it on and focus on it. And I got to say, I actually really liked it. It was uh, a really well done, I think it's like a perfect black comedy, if you will, in the sense that it's a really dark subject matter that's also able to be handled in a light and funny way. And I, I'm here for it. I liked it a lot. Awesome. Love to hear it. Love to hear it. Brian, you said you had at least heard of it it was sort of on your radar you hadn't seen it so this was new to you what were you expecting did you enjoy it i would say it's more along the lines of name recognition like i was like oh all right yeah i remember that being a thing i didn't go into it with any expectations outside of the fact that i remembered the the title and i thought leslie was a girl <laughs> that's fair <laughs> yes so outside of that that thing i was like oh all right, that's my misconception there. All right, so uh, I, I, I mean, I know we'll get into this later, but I had so much fun with this. Like, this was a tr- truly entertaining. I put this in the same category as Cabin in the Woods. Yes. Yeah. Yes, I would agree with that. Yes, it has very so much it, similar vibes. Yeah. So if you like Cabin in the Woods, this movie is for you. I I am the only one without a webcam here on our chat, but I have a very big grin. I've got the Brexit. Breakfast Club fist in the air right now. Yes. It's always good when people enjoy my dealer's choices. Sucks when you're like, here's something that I really enjoy. <laughs> no, one one other thing when you talk about um, you know your your picks for Russell, it makes me really want. I know it's going to be ten years before I can do this, but it makes me really want to uh, do. Uh, we're all going to the World's Fair. No, no. I, I 
I think I think that movie might drive him insane. It, so I w- I was unhappy with you for that. I was like, Brian, this is not a movie you just casually say, hey, would you like to see this? That movie should have a warning. <laughs> this movie should not. This was a movie I had seen a couple of times. It it's probably been six years or so. So I didn't get to it initially when it it came out. I got to it pretty late, but it's on lists of top slashers and i've i feel like we'll get into this later i feel like it's kind of unfair to just say hey this is a slasher this is what we do in the shadows-esque uh yeah it it's just it's almost genre defined it does a lot of different things and i definitely enjoyed it i put it on my dealer's choice i gave them a list of 12 films and brian's like you know what i'm feeling a slasher Okay. Uh, actually, no. Like, I'd love to talk about this for a minute. Sure. Uh, you you gave so many movies for your your possibilities. I watched the trailer for every single one of them, <laughs> and then rated them based on your sub criteria, and then under each sub criteria, one through three, and this ended up being the top. Yeah, it was a huge amount of homework because I gave twelve. Okay, that's a job. <laughs> Brian was like, "Here are my top choices in every single category." All right. All right. That's awesome. So good to hear. If I don't think a whole lot of people clearly by the $69,000 number have seen this movie. If you haven't, please go out and see it. It's an awesome movie. We are going to spoil it right after our ad break. Put us on pause. Check out the movie. We'll be right back. Welcome to the All 80s Movies Podcast. I'm Bill. And I'm Jason, and this is the podcast where we talk about the blockbusters, the flops, and everything in between from one of the freshest decades for movies, the 1980s. So whether you're a brain, a jock, a valley girl, or a Jedi, we've got some 80s classics for you. Do these movies stand the test of time? Are we discovering something new? Is there an 80s movie we're finally watching for the first time? Join us each week as we dive into the cinematic nostalgia that inspired and influenced a generation. From the hits to the cult classics, we'll discuss our earliest memories, favorite scenes, fun facts, and our not-so-favorite movie moments, too. It's the All 80s Movies Podcast, now available on all major streaming platforms. Please subscribe and happy listening. And we're back. One last warning before Lizzie spoils this movie for you. It's got some twists, so you don't want it spoiled for you. Go watch the movie. After you've watched the movie, Lizzie, tell us what we've seen. The movie opens with a young woman working in a diner taking out the trash. She suddenly hears a loud sound of the bricks moving and the back door slamming shut, followed by the waitress's screams as she sees a shadowy figure. We then cut to Taylor and her graduate student film crew who are looking back at a previous small town who will always live in infamy after being terrorized by real-life serial killers. They then focus in on a house in front of them in Glen Echo, where a legend of a new killer will soon come to fruition. Leslie Vernon is ready to come back and take his place next to the famous slashers that came before him, all while having Taylor document the process. Leslie first walks Taylor and her crew through the preparations of the looming night in terror with his rigorous workout routine in order to maintain the fast walk and keep up with his prey. 
He then shows examples of how one stops his prey and reveals the ultimate girl, the ultimate goal to find a survivor girl, a virginal girl who can carry on his legacy and come into her own by attempting to defeat him. Leslie then introduces Taylor to his survival girl, Kelly, whom he had been stalking for some time. The big night arrives. Leslie walks Taylor through the events of the night as Kelly and her friends arrive to investigate and ultimately party at the farmhouse. And as the group panics on how to escape, Taylor has the revelation that it was never Kelly. It was always Taylor. She is the final girl. And in a rewarding twist of events, she does exactly what Leslie had always hoped for. She rises to the occasion and defeats Leslie. The movie then closes with Taylor burning down the property and walking away a true survival girl. All right. All right. Yeah, this we get some twists and turns here, but I, I think we'll start out with the film crew. You guys both kind of mentioned, OK, this might look dumb and maybe the trailers I, I didn't actually watch the trailer but was the fact that this was filmed in like a found footage mockumentary style did that catch you off guard and did you enjoy getting to know a serial killer throughout this film i think it was one of the the fresh parts of it yeah i remember watching the trailer for it and be like i haven't seen that before let's go with this so, I mean, you know, if you can if you can throw me, you know, something new in the horror genre, I'm always game. I totally am with Fry on that one. I think that I, I'm always into the sound footage. I mean, it works so well when you have a good plot. And I just think that, you know, we all love, anyone that loves scary movies, we all love Scream and kind of how that in and of itself is a really meta movie that's constantly breaking its own fourth wall. So to have a movie where the fourth wall isn't really even there to begin with, like it's already broken, is really interesting. And yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's just it's a rewarding movie because you get so much payoff and getting to kind of see how everything works and they make fun of themselves in the process. And it's, it's great. Yeah, you mentioned some great little things that Leslie talks about. I love the scene of cardio when he's talking about how important cardio is because you're you're supposed to look like you're walking, but you never get tired and stuff like that, where they're taking little tiny shots at like the Michael Myers of the world. Yes. And yes, yes. Brian's pantomiming the swinging of of the weapon yes that's a he's got so many uh, little hand little hand scythe yeah yeah we get we get scream aspects explained you mentioned the ahab so we the sheer joy that he has that he now has someone hunting him to stop him and protect this final girl little moments like that are fantastic so did you expect that we would get all this set up? Like we would be walked through a killer's lair and go through all these traps that we often just, we see the end product of, of, oh yeah, you booby trapped the window. Ha, huh, cool. Whereas this one, he's like meticulously talking about the tools in the shed, how he, how he makes sure he's like, oh, hopefully this one breaks. Otherwise. Yeah. I feel like it was, well, when I first watched the trailer, I have to be honest, like, I didn't really realize even then that it was a comedy. Like, I still thought that it was going to be this, like, sound. I recognized that it was going to be satirical in a way with this, like, fake uh documentary. But I 
had no idea the kind of sense of humor that they were going to have with it. And I really enjoyed that because like you said, there's so many aspects of different scary movies where there is that element of the supernatural and they're trying to say, no, 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 like none of it's supernatural. Everything is super thought out and pre-planned. And then over years, there's rumor and lore and legend. And then that just kind of weaves itself over time to become supernatural. So I just, I think they did such a, a good job of making something that, you know, in real life, if you were having these experiences, it would be horrifying and traumatizing, but they were able to make light of them in a tactful way so that it was fun to watch. Yeah, he even builds up his own legend through messing with the library reels. Yeah, that, that stuff is, yes. is fantastic. Brian, I, I imagine you being quite giddy over his explanation of why she needed a pole-shaped sh- weapon. There are so many different little Easter egg, I mean, I call it Easter egg just because they're just tidbits of this movie that if you're not paying attention, you'll miss and be like, that's great. So in the same way that people gravitated to Scream and its explanation on how you live or die in a horror movie, this does it in a in a similar but you know categorically different way. I would say that my my biggest fandom part of this film is in Eugene's talking he's like oh, back in the 60s and 70s. Yes. Yeah, we we had like like you have to take it from the standpoint that everything you've seen in horror movies is real and that this is commonplace. That every you know not everywhere but that most places have a serial killer that you know they had a messed up childhood and this is so this is a commonplace thing in this world. And the fact that you've got like these old timer serial killers, like, <laughs> kids today just don't have any focus. You can't just show up <laughs> at a summer camp and just start killing people. Like I love that. I absolutely love that. So there are so many different aspects to this, to how they put together a fr- from the other side of the curtain horror movie, and and that's awesome. Like that's, that's, that's great. It actually, I think this will actually affect how I watch other horror movies I've seen before in the future. Oh yeah. Yeah. Eugene, I'm sad they cut some of his scenes because to your point, this is a movie that loves horror movies. There are so many references throughout. And one of the things they were trying to reference and they cut some of his scenes is that Eugene is the killer from Black Christmas. He is the old time so he's like the Billy Lynn's character. He's an older Billy Lynn's. We do get mention of Fred Krueger, and we get the the very fun. It's Kane Hodder who, if you're unfamiliar with him, he plays Jason in most of the movies. It's Kane Hodder as the Elm Street resident that's telling him to go away. I don't want to talk about Fred. So there, there's a lot of fun. Uh, Ash's car from the Evil Dead and Sam Raimi's. Uh, series is in there the two turtles that he's taking care of are the name of the pets from pet cemetery one and two uh the little kids jump roping in the background from nightmare on elm street there's just there's so much that if you watch this movie over and over these people love horror and i think you've both mentioned scream it it does evoke the the scream references and the awareness but he even goes down to I, I love the metaphor explaining the the hedge maze. He's like it's like entering the womb. <laughs> yes. It's it's all a sacrament to him, this this sacred 
war paint and everything getting prepped. And it's just, there's nothing else like it. It's truly one of the most unique films that I've seen in a really long time. Like, very creatively done. And I just, I, I really loved it. And like you said, I agree. I think that the whole movie, and it felt like a love letter to slasher movies in general, which as a slasher movie fan myself, it was really fun to watch and kind of go down this imaginary world as if you're watching through the killer's POV. It was very cool. Yeah, and it's it's funny because there are points in times in the movie where I'm like, how original is this? And you're going to watch it and you're going to be like, okay, they're, you're going to feel like, ah, oh, they're, you know, they're pulling too much from other things. And they are. But how they do it makes it so fundamentally different that it makes it its own thing and awesome. And, and I really applaud a movie that can, that can take aspects of classic horror and twist it just enough to make it its own and unique. Absolutely. And, and some of this that they're borrowing from is cast from uh, other movies. And we'll talk about the big name cameos here in a minute, but I'd kind of like to spend a little time with our smaller, lesser known people we got to hang out with this film crew of Taylor, Doug, and Todd when they're following Leslie around. And I'll pitch it to you guys, but I have a lot of fun with these guys. Like, they're, it could have been the bickering annoyance, but I got to put this out here right now. Todd is the man. Like, rest in peace, Todd. Your sacrifice will not be forgotten. Come after the doughboy! <laughs> oh my God. Todd. Um, yeah, I love them. I think they were so great. I, they kind of remind me of, because you're talking about like the sound footage aspect. I mean, the, the two guys and a girl film crew, it definitely has Blair Witchy vibes in that sense. But it's like the Blair Witch crew that you kind of always wanted, where rather it's just three people that really virtually hate each other that are stuck in the woods. <laughs> These three people that you can tell that between the three of them, they're like a little family in, in and of themselves and they're in it together. You know, Taylor is really the one out of all of them that's like, we've got to go back. Like we, like now that we're here, we know that Leslie's about to do all of this. We can't just sit back and let this happen. And the other two are just like at first, like super apprehensive, but then when they see Taylor's all in, like they're not going to just let her do this by herself. Like they've really got her back. Yeah, yeah, they are a little close-knit family, and you're right. The, there's no bickering, really, even when they're disagreeing on going back into the house. It's more over concern for each other than just Blair Witch. I love Blair Witch, but I, I'm fine with those people dying. <laughs> <It's>... <laughs> I feel like we could do an entire segment on the uh, beleaguered cameramen of horror. Yes. Like oh I, gosh, I, was, yes. I was, I was, I was thinking about the poor guy who had to work with Courtney Cox and Scream. Yo. Yes, that's like he just wanted to like, eat his Cheetos just, in the van. What yeah, right? Like, this poor guy. Like he's just like, dude, what? Why me? <laughs> I feel yeah. bad for him. Well, the first one, he, uh, he, you know, he dies horribly, and then the second one, she is talking to her second cameraman. And he's like, well, what happened to the first guy? And she's like, well, his throat was cut. <laughs> it's so bad. And then me doesn't, I'm pretty sure it doesn't end well for him either. 
they they just have such great interactions with each other and i i particularly love when we get the twist that kelly is not going to be our final girl the survival girl how we get that twist she is uh going at it with a guy in the bedroom and, and they all come out and doug's just like she's not a virgin <laughs> That is not her first time. <laughs> <laughs> I have to admit, I was wondering if as they're walking up the stairs and you hear kind of the ambiguous sound, if that was going to be the case because they were putting so much build up on, uh, on Kelly being a virgin and, you know, he doesn't know her and they kind of, they kind of lay that Easter egg in the beginning with, the other girl in the cardigan, you know, when Leslie takes them to go kind of scouting at the school and she, there's a comment made of like, you don't really know her. And it's like, well, I just know. And right. he, um, and so they kind of play on that of like, you don't ever really just know by looking at somebody, but that, that was, um, that was a funny payoff for sure. Yeah. Yeah. We find out that Kelly is not only a virgin, but she is quite promiscuous and her friends even yeah. call her out. One of her friends had a very good line that has to be bleeped out. But do you guys like that twist? Did you see it coming that Taylor was going to be our final girl? Uh, what was the what? I don't remember what the exact quote was, but it's the the two cameramen and uh, Taylor and, and they're back in the other room. It's like, well, I didn't know she was a whore. And it's like, <laughs> they have this, and she could clearly get like, they're in the, like, like literally in the next room. And I was just laughing so hard at that. <laughs> I don't She's know. like, you're telling me that we're not going to survive this because I like. <laughs> yeah. Their initial reaction is Leslie's going to be so mad when he finds out, like they haven't figured it out for themselves. Yes. Oh, I, God, I had actually predicted that um, it was going to be uh, Taylor that was going to be the Ahab. That was, for some reason, the twist that I saw coming, was that it wasn't this Doc Holleran that was supposed to be the knight in shining armor that was going to fight evil. I had really assumed it was going to be Taylor, that she was like, I'm the one that's supposed to defeat the evil. And in some ways that she was, but just not as an Ahab. She was the original final girl. With an apple press of all things. Yeah. So this, the movie shifts into a traditional slasher. It's it's about two thirds of the way, about an hour and five minutes in. We drop the mockumentary. It just goes full on traditional slasher. Uh, when the film crew returns to the house, are you okay with that transition? Did it feel like we needed it, or do you think there was a way to preserve the mockumentary style? Because we lose Leslie's dialogue until the final confrontation he's he's more doing the pantomime at the window i think i if i could have done it myself i probably would have kept the sound footage going i think there probably was a way to continue it um i feel like most movies feel like they pick a lane and stick to it with respect to the sound footage but i gotta be honest it didn't bother me it wasn't it was enough of a seamless transition that you're so into the plot that it doesn't really necessarily matter what the POV is coming from. You're just kind of super curious as to how things are going to unfold. So it would have been cool for sure if they had kept it that way, but it, I, I don't feel like they lost anything by switching over. I took two seconds to go back 
and look up what the quote was. Sure. So while the while the two girls are in the other room, clearly within earshot, the two cameramen are talking with uh, <laughs> and ninety five percent of all whores know that they're whores. <laughs> <laughs> No, I, I'll, I'll, I'm willing to cop that that's inadmissible as my favorite quote of the <laughs> film. But there are so many gems in this that I, I'll admit, I may not have caught that if I didn't have subtitles on. I think it's probably the big reason I remember it. <laughs> <laughs> the other 5% are just in time denial. <laughs> He's like, you just made that up. <laughs> All right, sorry. <laughs> now, I, I literally brought the movie up and fast forward. I was like, I'm going to find this quote. That's hilarious. <laughs> oh, gosh. Oh. That's great. Yeah. I, All right, sorry. No, that's fine. I, <laughs> no, I, I, love, I love it. That entire scene is just fantastic. Like, they took some. It's so good. They took a twist and oh. not only made it a twist, but they made it hilarious for a solid five, six minutes. And a lot of these jokes are really good at Kelly's expense. As far as me for the transition, I, I kind of, I don't know how they would do it, but I, I'm with you, Lizzie. I would prefer they somehow maybe have like Blair Witch type mics. And I don't know. I, I just want, uh, Gungeum is another found footage movie. That's excellent that they have cameras hooked up to themselves. So I okay. I don't know maybe maybe something in that keep the mockumentary style in and then you could go true found footage. It it was jarring to me the first time I saw it just that sudden transition. It's like oh okay now we're in just pure slasher territory where there's we get jump scares at the window and we start getting our goriest kills. Leslie hands someone their heart. While, while they're uh, in his hand, and that's that's a pretty gruesome kill. Mm-hmm. I I still don't think that's possible. Clear, I think that was that, that was the only it was the only kill in the entire movie where I was like, stop it. Oh, oh, like stop it. Oh, see, I I was for that. There'd be all sorts of rib cage in there, even if you were able to do that. Like I get it, you work out a lot, but. Nah, come on. No, this is your doctor wife's influence. Who it, it, it's better than the loved ones, where she's like, "That's not what a drill through the she, head sounds like." like <laughs> it's true. No, she didn't. She didn't have any. Uh, she didn't have any doctor input on this one. I will tell you this: that I had to watch this movie a second time because the first time I decided to watch it at ten o'clock before work the next morning, and I fell asleep right around the twenty-minute mark. She watched the whole darn thing while I was asleep next to her on the couch. And I woke up for like the last like five, ten minutes and she was like, You're gonna have to watch that again. And I was like, Yes, thank you. I realize. <laughs> That's my cardinal rule. I don't start anything after nine PM. Otherwise I will fall asleep, no matter how much I like it. Yeah. It's our are so our couch, I could write a horror movie about our couch because it is so darn comfortable that there is no finishing things on that couch. Like you, if you're watching something on the television and you're like, I'm going to finish this tonight. No, you're not. No, no, you're not. (laughs) My husband jokes that I start off. Mm. If we start something at nine o'clock, I start off as like a 90 degree 
angle and then I just slowly kind of start like (laughs) (laughs) becoming more and more cute until I'm eventually just completely parallel with the couch and I'm out and he'll even be like you're about to fall asleep aren't you I'm like no no my wife will tell you I look like a fifth element statue when I fall asleep on the couch like (laughs) head at at a 90 degree angle sticking up at the sky with my mouth wide I mean Stay awake for the movie. And a horrible neck cramp after yeah. in the morning. It's like 88 minutes. She's like, sometimes I'll just shove you over so you feel better the next day. <laughs> we have movies about killer tile tires and killer pairs of pants. Oh, rubber was great. So, yeah. Rubber was great. Slacks is great, too. So, yeah, killer sofas, if that's not a thing, like, make it happen. Yeah, this is this 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 one's slowly eating my soul. (laughs) Stephen King, twenty twenty three. Angry lamp monster. (laughs) So uh, apparently, and this is this is a little sad. They've been working on a sequel for a while. This came out in two thousand and six, and they said the script is kind of dated with some of its references and things. Obviously, 16 years of movies coming out. Other movies have done similar things. We talked a little bit of Cabin in the Woods, subverting expectations of characters. Uh, They're still working on it. The last update I think we had was 2017. Are you guys interested in a sequel? I'd be open to a sequel. I don't know where they would... I mean, I guess at the very end credit, they show that it's almost like the security camera footage of the um, coroner for, like, performing an autopsy, if you will. And so it's, um, they're kind of implying that he's still alive. So, I mean, there definitely could be a sequel there. Wonder, if they did a sequel, I feel like they would really have to do, again, I hate to kind of keep pulling a parallel to Scream, but they'd have to do a little bit of what Scream does in terms of, like, okay, we've established the lore. We know that it's here. I've come back. I've raised uh, care, raised care. Now, how do I come back and again and do it in a bigger and better way so that I can continue my legacy? You know, kind of making it almost like a, a meta sequel. Yeah, yeah, he's he's got a board or something of like my kill count in this movie was eight. Yeah, you got to do better. You got to go bigger and better. Exactly, more gore, more breath, all the things that happen in the sequel. <laughs> That's just gratuitous. Right? <laughs> hey now, hey, you know. Yeah. <laughs> and she immediately drops and unzips his pants. He's like, it, "It's a that's this point. I enter the cellar." I'm like, "Okay, all right. We just needed that." <laughs> they do a lot of that. There's a uh, upskirt shot on the ladder too. So there's yes. there's definitely a Friday the Thirteenth feel here. Mentioned a little bit about the the bigger names in this little tiny film. I think I'll start with Miss Zelda Rubenstein. This is her last movie ever, and it's so sad. She's so great in Poltergeist. Were you happy to see her as a a librarian? Oh yeah, I dude, her she has easily the most creepy. uh, She's the creepiest voice in Hollywood. (laughs) She's the creepiest voice in Hollywood. One hundred percent. Yes, she was in one of my favorite movies growing up as a kid, Teen Witch. Yes, ever heard that? You know, it is, oh gosh, it's so good. She's just fantastic. She's like so charismatic and creepy and lovable all rolled into one. We've got a lot of characters here. And on top of Zelda, we've got Doc Hall- Halloran. The, the name itself is an allusion to The Shining. 
It's uh, two different names from The Shining. We've got Jamie, which is obviously Jamie Lee Curtis, Kelly Curtis, which is Jamie Lee Curtis's actual sister. There's Frank Mancuso Jr., the producer of Friday the 13th movies. Then we have Scott Wilson, which people would know from The Walking Dead. He plays Herschel. He's Eugene in this movie. He gets involved because his buddy, Robert England, is in this film. I I love Robert England. He makes questionable choices in movies nowadays. But I'm glad he called someone up like Scott Wilson and said, Hey, hey, I've got a movie just for you. You need to do this. This is insane. So do you do you like our bigger names here? Uh, the Robert Englands, the Scott Wilsons, even even the fun things of Kane Hodder. I feel like they pulled like people I like out of a hat. <laughs> all of the older folks in this because like scott wilson is probably my favorite character from walking dead yes uh you know no disrespect to norman Reedus. there have been so many movies with him in it that i'm just like this this right here uh in cold blood probably my my most notable for him but um the 67 capote one i just i i i'm never tired of seeing him and stuff He's one of those people that when he's in something, I'm like that, that. Yeah. I like, I like him. I like him. And then, you know, he plays a, a Herschel or he plays himself in a, a robot chicken walking dead. So mad props to anybody that can, I, I'm sorry if you do that. I like you like automatically. Yeah. If you are, are so much fun that you will play yourself in a robot chicken. That's awesome. Good on you. Absolutely. Uh, I keep, having callbacks though to him as Herschel like back in the days where it's like what's in the barn oh no oh I just like I love, I'll never back, get over that show back, <laughs> well, back, back when Walking Dead was good right yes I, I couldn't I stopped after Glenn I couldn't do it I was too heartbroken after that but I um, actually think that's where I stopped too it was right. too much for me Negan. I was like nope Negan was the end for a lot of people. Although there's a guy that drives around Pittsburgh with Negan's bat and he's got a custom plate of Negan and he is a person that I avoid. Yeah. <laughs> so, it sounds um, like the it sounds like the uh the boyfriend from uh Teenage Dirtbag. Yeah. Yeah, it's like, okay, you've established yourself as a person I should not associate with. hundred percent. hundred percent. but yeah, I liked uh I liked it. I think it goes back to what I was saying earlier. This just feels like a love letter to anyone who loves horror movies. I think that I would probably make the argument that all of these people were chosen, you know, not for their acting chops, but just for the exact reason that what we're talking about, just because it's so much fun to see actors and actresses that you love that have been some of your favorite movies to see these cameos and get excited to see their faces. And it's just, they did a great job, of course, but it served such an awesome purpose of, of just kind of facilitating the fun fourth wall break. Yeah, I'm so glad some of these people decided to take up this little tiny project. And I, I'm always appreciative when people like Robert England will lend their talents to movies like this because it, it helps elevate it. It really does, even though I feel like Doc Halloran could have been used a little bit better. I, I kind of wanted more threatening or more Robert England, but I'm a huge Freddy Krueger fan. Who I'm not familiar with at all is Nathan, I, I don't know if it's Basil or Basil, he's our Leslie Vernon. 
I thought he did a fantastic job, though. I know him from nothing else. Uh, so Jess's uh, critique on him was she felt like his character was too much like um, Chris Pratt's in uh, Parks and Rec. Mm. You, you think he's a she was, Andy Dwyer? Yeah, she yeah, she was just like I. The, every time I see him doing his whatever he's doing, I just constantly go back to Chris Pratt. Well, this was before Parks and Rec, so that's not his fault. Maybe, Maybe. Chris Pratt ripped him off. Yeah. I don't. I don't think she realized that. Okay. Or, yeah, I, I don't think any of that was put together at the time, especially since I'd recently woken up from a ha- half of the movie nap. <laughs> so. But yeah, she was just like, I don't know, it's just that that mannerism piece of his is like almost goofy playfulness. I liked it. I think that I think honestly, that's what serves it. To be totally honest, this movie could go either way. Like if you didn't have the right person as Leslie, then you don't have a movie because the whole movie really stands on the on the legs of being able to be a dark comedy and um you gotta have an actor that's able to make you know light of kind of honestly like sensitive circumstances and so i think he has this goofiness honestly he has that like physical like chris farley kind of almost jim carrey uh ace ventura kind of physical comedy to him and um i actually did enjoy it because i think that he had this charismatic innocence about him that I think juxtaposed really nicely with his serial killer intentions. <laughs> so it, it worked for me. Yeah, he, he's genuinely funny with his mannerisms and just... I. It's around this time period, and I'm going to make the comparison, it's going to sound instantly awful, but he's like a much more charismatic and likable version of what Dane Cook is trying for. Okay. <laughs> I could totally see that. Uh, yes. I'll back you on that. I'll back you on that. Yeah, yeah I could see it. Like Dane Cook is not a likable human being, but yes, this this is uh, he succeeded where Dane Cook has failed. Uh, our, our our movie is it's written and directed and produced by Scott Glosserman. Scott has his, this movie edited by local students whose short film impressed him. So. There, there are just things that about this movie where I'm stunned that it does well because of the choices that he makes. This guy's other work, I, I have not seen it. I'm very concerned from the title. There's, it's No Escape Prison Rape. I don't, oh my, I don't know what that's about. That was his first work, and then he's done Truth in Numbers and The Truth Below, and last thing was in 2011 i'm not checking this out i'm just gonna say behind the mask was great i hope you do a sequel and (laughs) i don't know what's going on with his other work very unique idea for this one though brian's just nope yeah nope (laughs) so not be watching his other work hard hard pass yeah i'm concerned with the mockumentary style of this that 2001's movie would be similar uh our location, it is Glen Echo. That's based on a real neighborhood in Montgomery County, Maryland. That's where Scott Glosserman grew up. But it's largely filmed in Portland, Oregon, and its out, outlying towns are set. The 
there's so many things that we've talked about already, but like the pub that they go to, it's called the Red Rabbit. That's the same symbol as the matchbook found by Dr. Loomis in Halloween. There are puzzle boxes from Hellraiser in the couple's house. I mentioned the Oldsmobile Delta 88 that shows up in basically all of Sam Raimi's movies. Anything else that stuck out to you guys as far as Easter eggs or fun things that they're doing? I can tell you straight out that this movie was way more fun in that regard for you. Uh, I'm one of those people that I do watch, you know, some of the classics year to year, but man, I do not know them nearly well enough to have picked all that stuff out. Oh, see, I'm just sitting there like uh, the James Wood. Ooh, piece of candy. Ooh, piece of candy. <laughs> right? You named the turtles yeah. after Pet Cemetery. Yay. That's actually, that's the only one I have in my notes. I, I got that one. Well, Church and Zoe. Yeah. There are sweeties. Yes. Yeah. Don't pet the sweeties. <laughs> uh, Lizzie, anything stand out to you as far as their their cameos or uh, their fun Easter eggs? For me, it was just more, I really enjoyed the kind of watching the behind the scenes of the preparation beforehand. It wasn't necessarily an actual Easter egg, but just the idea of kind of breaking, again, just that fourth wall break of like, let me lead you down here. And this is how, you know, I have to maintain my cardio because otherwise, like, how am I going to maintain this really fast walk? Or he's putting on all this makeup and we have to make sure that I wear the flame retardant. And it's like, he's trying to explain away in his uh throughout the entire movie how these new notorious serial killers from previous times have been able to get away with it and to me it kind of felt like an interesting easter egg in and of itself yeah he he does address i really like the lower window when taylor's just like what happens if they break the lower window out you'd think so but they never do and and i'll say this i like as far as that fourth wall piece like i don't even really think they break it i think that's the the genius of this film is they're filming a documentary that is the film so the wall isn't technically broken you're just getting a glimpse at it through the footage of a documentary being made so i i love loophole genius like that like sure it's easy but nobody else thought of it like it's it's one of the things that i've always really really credited christopher nolan with is you know people will criticize something like tenet and say oh it's just a really simple idea yeah but no one did it yeah and that made it really cool so it's you know it's like a pet rock you know like that's dumb yeah but it worked yeah so uh, it, it's one of those things that I really appreciated about the yes, it's been done, but not quite like this. And that has made it truly unique in of itself. And people criticize it. Yeah, but it's you know too much like blah, blah, blah. Or, you know, they, they just they turned it a little bit and you're just like, yeah, but you know, that still made it its own unique thing. And just because no one else thought of it yet, like you're you're trying to crap on it for this reason. But it's really an, an unfair you know, criticism. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a solid movie for sure. I love, I, I like the way you put it. Cause they, you are absolutely right. They are really able to stand on its own two feet without fully breaking the fourth wall. They're just kind of letting you 
behind the curtain, I guess, if you will, by doing the documentary, but they're really still maintaining its movie status. Now I will I will offer up one more Easter egg to transition us into our wardrobe, our costume, and our makeup. Doc Halloran's wardrobe it's identical to Doctor Loomis from Halloween, so get to get get that. There's there's a lot of Halloween and Shining references. We get we get some soundtrack from The Shining later on, but this movie is called Behind the Mask. Did you guys like our killer's mask, his outfit, his makeup? Do you like that about Leslie Vernon? I, I did. I, I have to bring up one other thing when you talk about like the little uh, tidbits that they add to this movie, their Easter eggs to other movies. When it came to the axe, the first thing I thought about, <laughs> you and the first thing that went through my head was Otis. I, I've got some bad news, guys. I, our shed recently got broken into, and Otis was stolen. Oh. So I no longer have Otis. He's a demon. So, uh, yeah, I was, uh, I was, why, yeah, right. <laughs> Bill Paxton, <laughs> ghost of Bill Paxton came and took my axe. No, I, uh, when that happened, I was like, oh man, we just did frailty. And now I got to be like, yeah, Otis was stolen. Uh, that's terrible. Yeah. But you like, you like the mask here. Yeah. No, this is, all right. First off, it's hard to make a unique, unique mask these days. Like, I think Scream was the last time I really gave it like a slow clap, like Ghostface was. That was fun. And it launched never ending sales possibilities through the easiest costume that anyone could ever possibly put together for Halloween. So the commercialization of Scream was just cash money from the get go. But this is a, this is a genuinely creepy mask. And I feel like it, it does that off the, like, there's nothing really like this. The only thing I could even closely compare it to is Neom Nub from Star Wars. Mm. That's all I got. Like, the closest thing I've ever seen to anything looking like that would be Neom Nub from Star Wars. I think one of the Stranger masks kind of resembles it a little bit. Okay. But those are all burlap sacks, though. Oh, no, the one of them had the, yeah. the doll mask. Yeah. Okay. Was he trying to resemble a turtle? Do you think that that was what he was trying to go for? Like a turtle's face a little bit? Because he has, it was part of his legend that turtles right. like picks apart his body and then he has his pet turtles and then his face is like kind of turtley. I don't know if I'm the only one that picked up on that, but it kind of had like a turtley mask. I think you might be, but I think that's a brilliant observation. Yeah, yeah. that's good. I like that. There's a whole like easy. <laughs> There's an old YouTube video in college that I watched just so many times where it's like this big chili cook-off and this kid has this zombie makeup on and uh, the the anchor woman is, is interviewing this kid. It's like, I'm here with Jake and we're here at the chili cook-off and he's here dressed up as a zombie. Tell us how you like your makeup, Jake. And he just looks into the camera and goes, I like turtles. <laughs> and it just <laughs> And to me, this feels like perhaps that was they should they should have really found a way to slide that in there, 100 percent. That maybe that was that was Leslie because he seemed to really like turtles. Huh. I will have to rewatch this immediately. Yeah, gotta think about that. <laughs> I I like it though, and and you're right, Brian. This is a unique mask. It's still creepy. It's 
It's almost like the wooden voodoo style mask. It's got a little bit of twisted distortion to it. And we see the the light blue greenish face paint, which may or may not resemble a turtle now that I think of it. <laughs> it was right there. And the black eyeliner. The, the other thought I had is like this is a, a Canadian South Park killer. Hmm. <laughs> Because like the the, the, the mouth the, yeah the mouth actually like separates it. Okay. Hey guys, yeah. I'm gonna kill you now. Yeah. <laughs> but it's time to die. This is the boot my mission. Does <laughs> <laughs> a great day for Canada and they'll fall the world. <laughs> I I do blame Canada. Yeah. <laughs> Brian, Brian, you mentioned at least one kill not working for you but this is a slasher and slashers need their kills they need to be fun did the overall teenage partiers we see one of them stone guy and then slightly more stone guy were they killed off properly i mean that's can you even use the token stoner yeah that's a turn yeah like, there, were right, so there were two of them. Fine. That guy was so high, he didn't even feel his heart get ripped out. Like, <laughs> That's why he was able to hold it. I'm, I, I'm, <laughs> I, I am constantly impressed by people who can smoke so much weed that they're absolutely incapacitated. Like, and it, it, I love, there's actually a line from the two of them I really liked where he was like, all right, man, cover, cover me. And he's like, cover you with what, man? Like, <laughs> And then he shuts the door behind him. I'm like, (laughs) (laughs) they go into the murder Uh, shed. Yes. All right. (laughs) Check out this cool scarecrow. Like, dude. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, if you're not sobering up super quick at that, then you have smoked way too much. Too much. If you like scenes with scarecrows, go see the movie Pearl. You guys will get that in a little bit, a little later. Okay. So, yeah. Lizzie, did you like our our slasher kills here? Yeah, I thought they were, uh, well, I, I appreciated, as you all know, I'm not into, you know, super huge, gory movies. So I, I appreciated that, first and foremost, they kind of left the gore and, you know, everything is kind of, for the most part, left the imagination. You know, they have the heart scene and they have some things which I do understand that you can't make a slasher movie without some kill shots. But for the most part, they left everything kind of to the watcher's imagination. So I, for that reason, I really appreciated it. Yeah, I mean, I, I liked it. It felt very classic to me. There was nothing that really felt super out of the ordinary, but I think that was kind of the goal. I don't think that they were trying to do anything that felt super on their own because I think they're trying to kind of stick to the trope. Yeah, they kind of go through the high schoolers pretty quickly. Brian, what were you yeah. gonna say? I've got a question. Where do you where do you rate the Leslie Vernon mask in the pantheon of horror masks? Top five or so, I would say. I mean, like I was trying, I was, no, I was just thinking about it and I was like, all right, so the pig mask and Saul. Oh yes. Uh, I, 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 I feel like that haunts dreams. Um, Michael Myers is number one. Michael Myers for me is like the scariest. I think, 
if you if you take the machete away, the hockey mask is just a hockey mask. So like I don't right. feel very scared by that, but no, Michael Myers is scary. The purge. Mask. I, I've talked about the yeah, I talked about the commerciality of Ghostface, but I, I don't feel like it. It was less horror and more like, all right, you know, that's different. Leatherface. Yeah. Leatherface okay. is probably up there. Um, I, I'm gonna throw a curveball in here because it's not really a horror movie, but I've, I've got to tell you, it's it's a pretty terrifying mask. Can we go with Donnie Darko, the rabbit? Mm. Oh yeah, for sure. Like, I mean, I think I honestly like, that would be like. That's like peeing yeah. your pants. It's scary. Like that is. Neither of you guys have seen Creep, right? Uh, so go watch Creep because it's amazing. But there's a mask, and it's called Peach Fuzz, and it is a werewolf mask, mm. and it is one of the more unsettling things you'll run into. How, how Chad? I, I I don't know if if both of you have seen this or either of you, but how about the Cupid mask from Valentine? Okay, yeah, that's a good one. That's definitely that is an you know I think there's something to be said about when they take a mask that's kind of supposed to be um you know it's not supposed to be frightening, it's more generic, and then you pair it with that. But you know what I think what makes the hockey mask different is it's not actually a face, but with that Cupid mask where it's supposed to be like a cherub, it's it's pretty scary. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Sorry. I just, I felt like given the uniqueness of this mask that we needed to bring up other quality horror masks. I mean, we love countdowns here at Retro Mercury Roundtable. So yeah. I'm a countdown gal. Yeah. I, I could literally go the rest of my life without seeing the pig mask from Saul again. Mm, okay. All right. Ama- Did you all ever see um, Black Phone, like a more recent yes. scary movie? Mm-hmm. With Ethan. That uh-huh. mask is a scary one. And he yeah, and he, he can change his mask, uh, like the smile on his mask. So he'd either be like this really creepy grin or this very just like unsettling frown. And it is, it's very, either way, it's very, um, it's very unsettling. Yeah. Yeah. So. Unless you guys have anything that stands out as far as soundtrack or score, I kind of feel like this is generic as far as with yeah. we get our strings and things like that. Other than the Shining reference, the Midnight, the Stars, and You is playing when he's applying his makeup. So, you know, we get that and Psycho Killer at the end, which is always fun. Uh, but what is the most fun is handing out our awards. So are you guys ready to hand out some superlatives? Yes. Let's do it. Lizzie, our MVP of Behind the Mask, The Rise of Leslie Vernon, who is it? I went with Nathan Basile, the Leslie Vernon. I I just think for him, truly, like I said before, this movie could have gone either way. If you had somebody that took themselves too seriously, or if you had somebody that was, you know, too goofy, that was kind of unable to get serious, you know, there's a couple of moments. Towards, especially towards the very beginning where, I, you know, he's explaining to Taylor, you know, I can't just sit here and explain why I do what I do. You know, you have to be able to watch and he's, he's talking to her. This, this is like an artistic process for him. So he, he definitely has some moments where he's able to get serious. But ultimately, I just think his ability to kind of toe that line really made the movie work and it could have really felt fallen flat had had it been not for him so he he's my mvp oh this could be so cringeworthy if they got the wrong actor absolutely brian who's your mvp um i went with angela gothels i i 
she obviously presented herself as the most character development in the film, obviously with the twist being fairly reliant on her. But throughout the entire movie, it bothered me because it, I felt like she reminded me or so, of someone or I'd seen her in something before. And none of that was true. And it took me a really long time to nail it down. But I realized that she just kept giving me a ping pong between Kristen Bell and Christina Hendricks. Mm, okay. And yeah. and she has aspects of like she has very Christina Hendricks mannerisms with a very Kristen Bell attitude. Yeah. And I and it kept messing with me the whole film, like why this was so. And it's interesting because. I feel like Leslie had that too. He has aspects of other characters kind of hard boiled into one. And I felt like both of them did something that was very indicative of the movie. They're not copying anything, but it's very familiar. Oh yeah. Yeah. He's borrowing from Matthew Lillard a little bit in scream, just a much toned down version of that character. My mom and dad are I mean, just the the childish jumping for joy at the Ahab and the entire family. Yes. Still top five quotes of all time is I'm going to go get a beer. You want one? Yeah, sure. I'll I'll be be right right back. back. It's such a great movie. That's like, that's in my top five, hundred percent. And it deserves to be. Yeah. uh, For me, I went with Scott Glosserman. I, he is our writer, our director, our producer. I think this film is incredibly smart where it probably should be, like you said, Lizzie, incredibly stupid. And it's not only smart, it's funny. So he he's putting in a ton of legwork here. So I've got to give it to him. Best Supporting Actor. I went with Angela Gothels on this one for a lot of the same reasons that you mentioned, Fry. I just I think she's got such a great range. You know, she goes from playing this really excited, a little nervous, but mostly excited, and then she kind of transitions that into being, uh, you know, heroic and trying to save everybody, and then she very swiftly, uh, quickly switches to being almost borderline vengeful towards the very end. And I just think in each, her arc, in kind of each, stage of, of her ultimate character arc she she did so well in delivering each part i think she did things she is she is she's wonderful uh brian uh i went with eugene scott wilson here yeah. um <laughs> love him just love him like this this movie was all the greater for his part in it like i actually think that that the if you took him out of this film it would not have been nearly as good without that depth of serial killers are everywhere. They've been at this a long time. It's almost a common place within this world to have these, these guys, ah, the kids today just don't know how to kill. Right? right. Like I, that, that was great. He was buried in his backyard for like what? Three days. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Like, like he's still, like stands he's staying sharp. Like, I just love that. Like, I don't, I don't think that this movie would have had nearly as much gravity without his uh, part in it. He did so good. He talks about how, like, at one point he mentions that other 
people that have come after him are, you know, he's having going on his diatribe about how it's not the same. And he's like, people are, they're um, like, they're tainting it and they're making, they're getting themselves caught and arrested and almost kind of tried to make it sound like your, your Dahmers and your BTKs and all of like the actual real life serial killers kind of tried to attempt what Leslie and he had right. attempted and epically failed. And getting caught. And that's kind of what he was alluding to a little bit. I'm not sure if that was the intention, but I, I found that kind of dark in a dark way, like, like funny and charming, I guess. It makes so much sense that these serial killers are connecting with each other. And there's a horror movie. I can't think of it right now where a guy accidentally stumbles on a serial killer convention and it just anarchy ensues. But eh, that's such well, a- have, you, have, have you watched, uh, there's a Sandman said about that. Sandman. Have you watched Sandman no. yet? Mm-mm. Yeah. Oh, yeah. There's a serial killer convention in Sandman. Okay. All right. I will have to check that out. But yeah, there's it's a fun trope in some horror movies, but it it this is the first place I can see it where they're talking to each other, and it's so fun that he's like a father figure to him. It's a great pick. Uh, as for me, Nightmare on Elm Street is my number one. It's it's my in my pantheon. So I can't not pick Robert England. He does the best he can with his part. But I think where he gets laurels from me is he's bringing legitimacy to this film. Like I was intrigued because I saw Robert England attached to this without his name. I don't I don't know. Kind of the Drew Barrymore in Scream. Like she was listed as number one, even though we all now know what her part was. But she's bringing the gravitas to that film. So, Freddy Krueger for me. Hidden Jim, and there's there's a lot that we've covered here. Lizzie, who'd you select? I said Zelda. I I just I think she's truly you know she's truly a gem in and of herself. I just I love her so much, and I had mentioned already that she's in like one of my all-time favorite '90s movies, Teen Witch, and she's you know she's those Sixteen Candles and Poltergeist, and I just I think whenever I thought whenever I associate, you know, that kind of creepy character that's supposed to possibly give you a red herring in and of, you kind of think of Zelda because she just has this creepy charm to her. And so the fact that she was quite literally cast to be a red herring, I just, I thought it was awesome. Yeah. She appears and you're like, Oh, don't trust this lady. This is, this is going to go very poorly for you. (laughs) Yes. Brian, who's your hidden gem? Doubling down on Zelda. Okay. Yeah, she's an awesome pick. I'm going to be a little different. I'm going to go with Britton Spellings, who is Todd. And Todd's the man. His sacrifice scene is one of my favorite scenes, because Leslie even talks about, hey, if someone decides to do something off script, it could really mess up my plan. It's Todd. So never before, never again, but I'm getting lower. No one escapes, Leslie. Yeah. Come chase the doughboy. Yes. Yep. Recast. Who are we recasting, Lizzie? Okay, so don't get mad at me, but I I chose to recast Doc Holland. I okay. um I love Robert England, but I I felt like it it rung kind of confusing for me in the sense that they want in Freddy Krueger is supposed to be real, but yet. They have the character who plays Freddy Krueger, and of course I appreciate that Freddy himself is badly burned and has the knives and the sweater, and 
So he's completely recognizable as himself, but um, I thought it would have been cooler to maybe pluck Robert England into something perhaps a little different, maybe even to be kind of like a secondary Eugene. Okay. I mean, that's that's fair. I I don't like how he was used, although we do mention Jason Voorhees, and we have Mr. Jason Voorhees himself with Kane Hodder here, too. Very true. Oh, on Elm Street, finishing that Freddy versus Jason. Yeah. Brian? So uh, I'm recasting the other cameraman, Ben Pace. Okay. I want to put in a young at the time and hadn't really done anything yet, but I want to put Tom Al Gleason in here. Okay. Like, right, that's fair. I, I'm such a huge fan of his, and I was thinking of guys who can pull off that kind of nerdy look, the, the probably shouldn't get the girl guy. And, yeah. you know, back in his younger years, I, I think he's actually a handsome guy now. But, I, you know, he had that more gangly, less likely air to him. And I think back when this movie came out, he would have been that part. And he was wild, wildly unknown at the time. Like, he was doing TV series. He was doing short film. Like, he, he was, it's way before True Grit, basically. Uh, or, right. or Deathly Hallows. Um, so... I just think that he would have been a really good like stand-in for the second cameraman that does, in fact, eventually get the girl. Okay, all right, I like it. I maybe I went to maybe. I went after Kelly, who is she's played by Kate Miner, and I I think I'd recast her with Sienna Miller. Honestly, if age isn't an issue, I want to get someone like Reese Witherspoon in here. The problem is she'd be a 30-year-old portraying a high school student. She's always kind of looked young. Yeah, because that's never happened before. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Sienna Miller's closer in age, and I I kind of thought Kelly, until the twist, she was kind of the weak link in acting. I just want someone better in there. Uh, Best shot, Lizzie. I chose right when Kelly... And um, in the library, and Mrs. Uh, Mrs. Collinwood, they're together in the library. They're sharing the lore together. And then, you know, Kelly looks up. She sees uh, she sees Leslie there in his in his possibly turtle mask, and she's freaking out. And he holds <laughs> up to the weapon to kind of form like a triangle with his uh, between his arm and his body, and it's in between that that free space that you see Doc Holland arise and then the camera immediately zooms in on Doc Holland and it kind of almost had this kaleidoscope-esque uh, vibe to it in the fact that you're kind of seeing that person behind the person and then going through that chamber in order to see him. And I, I thought that was that was really creative and I, I appreciated the, the artistry behind that. Yeah, yeah, library shot. It's tough to get really great cinematic shots due to the mockumentary style, but that was certainly a good one. Brian, what was your best shot? I, I hated putting this as a shot because it's a very long shot, but it truly is basically one shot. It's the end credits. Mm, like yeah, I, the psycho killer. I, 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 well, first off, I love that song. Uh, yes. but second, it's really basically all of one thing the entire time. Until the inevitable corpse sets up piece. And, you know, I've always applauded the idea behind Marvel movies really making you sit through the credits. Like, yeah, it's a pain in the butt, but 
you know, there's a payoff at the end and all of these people, even though you can't ever possibly read all the credits for a movie, uh, you know, they do, they do deserve credit. So I just thought, what a cool idea maybe that other horror movies can, can take from to where there's actually continuous footage throughout the credits and the whole time you're thinking, when's it going to happen? Cause I watched right. 100% of the credits wondering, is it like, will he just sit up? Will he sit up and kill this guy? Is there yeah. going to be something fairly comical where he gets up, walks to the corner of the room, the guy with his earphones in turns around, sees an empty table. He's like, Oh, what's going on? Then he kills the guy. Like, what are they going to do here? And, it kept me guessing the whole time. I was sitting there like, is nothing going to happen? Did they just do this whole thing to prank me? Like that would have been genius too. <laughs> so I, I, I was, I, they had my rapt attention through a hundred percent of the credit. Excellent. Yeah. And the, the song does. It absolutely Psycho helps. Killer, that's cool say. Yes. Love yes. that song. <laughs> yep. My, my best shot. Leslie sets it up ahead of time, but it's when Taylor has to enter the womb, the hedge that she had explained to her. There's this hesitation, but it's actually good framing. There's mist in the background. There's light kind of illuminating her trail. It's just this the sacred place. So uh, it was fun to see that actually play out as Leslie had described. Our best scene, Lizzie, what was your favorite? So my favorite scene was actually the Todd scene. I, I, I broke my heart, but I actually really thought that it was going to go in a totally different direction. You know, Todd, and the reason that's why it was my favorite scene was because I was really on the edge of my seat as Todd's on the ground and he's like, look at me, Les, it's me, it's, it's Todd, look at me. And he's begging and pleading with him. And, you know, at first, uh, you know, he, he pushes his mask off. And they have this moment where they look at each other. And I truly, really thought that that was going to go in a different direction in that moment. I thought that Leslie was going to kind of come to his senses or maybe at the absolute least let Todd go. Um, and I was, I was disappointed that it didn't go in that direction. But that scene overall was the one that had my attention and had me like, truly like talking to the screen, you know, really concerned about poor Todd and maybe no one, no one gets away, Lizzie. I know it was such a bummer. It made me sad for Todd. Yeah, that is heartbreaking. Yeah. Brian. Uh, uh, Chopping carrots, man. Eugene cutting those carrots. I, that I could watch that scene on repeat. I loved it. I <laughs> curmudgeonly old serial killer talking about how kids don't have it these days. Chop, 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 He's like, okay, that'll do, dear. I loved it. Absolutely loved it. I'm at Eugene's house, too, Jamie and Eugene, and it's just as Leslie has announced he has an Ahab. He's just been shot, and they're talking about it. He's like, I got shot, and they're excited for him. Does it hurt? No, bulletproof vest, and... Yeah, he just the overall joy. And I understand these are horrible people celebrating horrible things. But the fact that just the childlike reaction to all of it, it makes me smile every time. So the the pride from Eugene and the just 
the love and joy from Jamie, all of that together. We didn't talk enough about Jamie, but she does a wonderful job as well. She does. She really does. Best wardrobe and makeup moment. Lizzie, what do you got? I So I put the mask. I, I put the mask down because of reasons that we've already discussed, but that I, I really did for, a, after watching it, being like, this guy has some kind of, um, he has an affinity for turtles. He really enjoys turtles. And like, maybe he's, you know, and possibly it could have just been a, a self-fulfilling prophecy, if you will, in the sense that the legend was that turtles picked apart his body and so he thought that maybe this was fate, that he was gonna become obsessed with turtles. I have no idea. That would be something to ask for the sequel. But I, um, but I, I do enjoy the mask ultimately because it is turtles or not it is unsettling and kind of paired with his whole outfit he kind of has like a farmer vibe with yeah, with the mask was. and um i mean ultimately i i felt like that was something that i would be petrified to see taking out the trash so that's stuff with me get some pirates of the caribbean sea turtles mate brian what do you got I mean, it's got to be the actual makeup scene where he's talking about the flame retardant and the in the, the paint. <laughs> like, I, f- I felt like that was truly like on the nose because you start thinking about that in credit scene, and all of a sudden you're like, oh, yeah, this was this was discussed. Yeah, uh, check off. It's all gun. coming to fruition. It's all happening. I want more killer prep in movies like this movie has ruined other slashers for me i want to see a killer in the humdrum mundane destroying some weapons altering weapons setting up pitchforks applying makeup so yeah the the makeup scene for me too where he's applying all this i killer prep work apparently is a thing for me now change one thing lizzie I maybe it feels like low hanging fruit, but I would have loved for them to elaborate a little bit more on like the intertwined universe. You know, like where is uh like where is Fred Krueger and Michael Myers and are they you know, 'cause he, he had said at one point he was like, I'm either going to die, uh, or get arrested or this is gonna work out for me. So I'm and you know, I'm if, assuming that these movies were kind of if you look at Halloween as historically accurate in this universe, then, you know, where is Michael Myers? Because, you know, he always comes back. So has he just been hiding and he comes out every now and again on Halloween? Or I would just, I would have loved to see them elaborate a little bit more on that. Hmm. Okay. So Michael Myers in his summer home awaiting fall. As he said, you know, you can't, be like mowing the lawn in front of your house you know you gotta you gotta be in hiding somewhere so where are they that would be cool to see him drive by in that stolen vehicle from the original halloween to see him right drive by in the mask brian what are you changing uh i, I hate to be a broken record on this but i wanted more scott wilson like i i needed okay. i needed more like it was my favorite part of the movie was when they were basically getting taken through the back in my day piece and he's you know he's got this this wife that may or may not have been a huntress as well um i i I just i would have liked more of that i i'm down for that mine it 
mine is really the the low-hanging fruit here because the movie itself calls it out it's the gratuitous scene where it's just straight up framed on the girl's breasts and he takes out and just is playing with a nipple it's like okay this i understand (laughs) that you're parroting friday the 13th but this literally felt gratuitous yes so you know maybe do less of that or cut away i don't know like you could have interrupted it earlier that just felt a bit much for me so best quote listen there's a lot of fun ones here there are a lot of them it was honestly really hard to pick one so i just have to go with what made me laugh out loud which was the scene in which they're working out together or not necessarily together (laughs) but he's watching leslie work out and um and he makes the comment of like, you know, plus there's the whole thing is making it look like you're walking when everybody else is running their ass off. Because to me, that was that made me laugh out loud because it's just such a true trope in every single movie where you're just like, how is he getting there so fast? And uh, so I, I really appreciated that they put fun of that. Zombieland covered it. Cardio. Absolutely. That's a Brian. What's your favorite quote i'm i'm standing with 95 percent of horrors know that they're whores <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm standing by it i it's it, it you will miss this quote if you are not paying attention you don't see mm-hmm. anyone say it it's panning on the outside of the house when it's said it you will completely miss this quote if you're not careful but it's right after they find out that the virgin isn't a virgin. And it's, it's so like, it's, it, it's honestly not a, probably a cool thing to say, but it's also right. hilarious in how they inter, interjected into this movie. So I, I don't know. I just, <laughs> the more I think I, about I'm it. I'm for it too. I think it's funny. I think but, it, in a movie where they can laugh at themselves, it burned. But before, before earlier, when, when this quote came out, my, uh, my favorite quote was, did she have to do a ball reference? Nice. Nice. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Mine is also coming at Kelly's expense. It's between Doug and Todd. Doug says, what kind of a survivor girl passes out in a pinch? And then Todd says, passes out. What kind of survivor girl hops on the nerdy kids Johnson like a pogo stick? <laughs> It's just, just like, yeah, that that is exactly what just happened. Yep, that's so. what she's doing for sure. All right, this has been this has been a lot of fun. I'm glad you guys had fun with my pick. It's time for our rating: zero to five stars, half star intervals, unless you're Brian Fry. Lizzie, what are you giving? Behind the Mask, Rise of Leslie Vernon. I I gotta say, I'm giving this a solid 4.5. It was really fun to watch. I haven't seen a movie like this in a long time where they were really able to get uh, the satire of it right, and they were really able to find that balance of funny, and somehow there were still moments that were scary, and I just... It, Ultimately, it was just really, really fun to watch, and the humor just felt so sophisticated, and it, as we've said before, on how they were really able to take a concept that's been done before, but just really make it into their own, and I'm here for it. I think it's a great movie. Oh, that makes me so happy. Sophisticated may not be the word to use after we just quoted <laughs> whole ball. 95% of horrors. 95% of horrors. <laughs> 
Yes. Yes. And ball jokes and uh, going to uh, going to kill me with my cock. Yep. <laughs> but again, I mean, what hope? But that's also like teen, you know, promiscuity is is something. It's like a common trope in horror movies. So I mean, you can't poke fun at the horror movie genre without also poking fun at the promiscuity of it all. I mean, it's, it's all about the virgin. So there's got to have the opposite there. Yes. Absolutely. Brian, what are you giving it? We know it's not four and a half. <laughs> uh, solid four stars. Honestly, I would give this a five. Just uh, I'd give it the extra star just because you introduced me to something that I enjoyed this much on a uh, opening watch, which is what I always appreciate, you know, being able to do. So uh, good on you, man. This is this is as a movie, I give it four stars. But because you did it, it's a five. Nice. I'll take it. I will take it. <laughs> Best part of the show is getting to see new movies that other people love. And they're like, oh, you haven't seen this? You will love this. Brian did it with me with 12 Angry Men. It's now in like my top 10 of all time. I love that movie. So you haven't seen this? We're watching this. I'll even give it like a bonus. I know asterisks aren't always a positive thing, but I'll even give it a bonus asterisk that I got to wake up on the couch and be like, oh, how is it? And just being like, that was really good. You're going to have to watch it again. Like, <laughs> like that, that's nice. good too. Like that's yeah. Spousal approval is awesome. So yeah. Kudos, yes. man. Excellent. Excellent. I, I went with four stars. I am the weird low, low man here, but I do. I love this movie so, so very much. I'm glad everyone had a good time with something that I forced on you. It, it's got, heart it's got passion for the genre so i i want a sequel i want it yesterday i just i need more of this in my vein it, so. it, it is it is a four-star movie the last star is for you excellent i will take it i will take it in any manner so we're gonna keep in horror month it is still gonna be our october releases we are doing dracula 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 Said his name three times. It's appearing on your favorite podcast. Brian, do you want to help me pick a Dracula movie? All right, let's do this. Not going to be Dracula 2000. No! (laughs) Option number one. How about vampires? No. Option number one. Dracula from 1931. Transylvanian vampire Count Dracula bends a naive real estate agent to his will and takes up residence at a London estate where he sleeps in his coffin by day and searches for potential victims by night. So Universal's Dracula. Option two, Dracula from 1958. Jonathan Harker rouses the ire of Count Dracula after he accepts a job at the vampire's castle under false pretenses. Harker's friend, Dr. Van Helsing, then embarks on a hunt for the predatory villain when he targets Harker's loved ones. So we've got some hammer horror there. And Dracula from 1992. The centuries-old vampire Count Dracula comes to England to seduce his barrister Jonathan Harker's fiancée, Mina Murray, and inflict havoc in the foreign land. Which one are we doing, Brian? Six. Six bats. Um, We're going to go with option number one, Dracula 1931. Old school as it can be. All right. I mean, it's not Nosferatu, but so I guess it's not as old school as old school can be, but close. Yes. 
hey, this is this is when we were able to use the term Dracula instead of just cleverly skirting it and copyright laws as the Germans do. So as is thank tradition. You yes, yes, excellent. So thank you guys so much. This has been a fun time. Thank you all the lords, ladies, and knights of the Retro Movie Roundtable. We invite you to reach out to us. We want to hear from you. Subscribe, rate, and review us on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, wherever you get your podcasts. Give us a like on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter at movie underscore retro. Email us at retromovieroundtable at yahoo.com. Producing and providing this podcast is fun, but not free. So we invite you to support the show at our Patreon page, patreon.com slash retromovieroundtable. Be cool like Mark. Mark sponsored us in Patreon. We like you, Mark. Big thumbs up. Thanks, Any Mark. Contribution, yeah, absolutely. Any yeah. contribution is much appreciated and goes towards making the show better for you, the listeners. So as always, thank you for listening. Be good to each other and watch more movies. Brian? I learned it from watching you! <laughs> <laughs>